I saw it on Linden Street, the show dedicated to the joy of finding appreciation in cult films, exploitation oddities, beloved classics, and all points in between. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, inviting you to join us here at the Linden Street Cinema Experience Theater as we once again dig up the fun cinematic relics of the past. This week's offering is 1977's classic, Kingdom of the Spiders. So, some background. This remains a deep-cut favorite of mine, harkening back to when I first caught a glimpse of it as a youngster on a magical Saturday afternoon circa 1988 on WPWR-TV, Power 50, for those of you old enough to remember the wonderful Chicagoland UHF station. I was allowed to watch far too much TV as a child. Uh, be playing with Legos, plastic dinosaurs, or simply drawing in front of the tube. And my folks were hands-on parents. We played games, did things outside, all quite normal. But they never saw the harm of leaving uh, the old squawk box on in the background while I would play downstairs in the family room of our split level. Nor did they really mind if I had the old black and white TV on, catching old episodes of Three's Company or Gilligan's Island while my Transformers and G.I. Joes attempted to navigate the kid-friendly fuzzy orange carpet of our extra bedroom downstairs that doubled as our playroom. It was during these wonderful, safe, unobserved times that my parents' benign neglect, and I I promise when I say this with the greatest of love, It allowed me to be exposed to films and shows that I most likely had no business of watching at that age. And today's offering was not in the same league of any of the real forbidden fruit that I did manage to see, but it would be something that my parents, at least at the time, would not have let me watch. The success of Jaws in 1975 spawned a huge number of imitators. Orca, Grizzly, the list goes on and on, and will for the next 15 to 20 years. Interestingly enough, though, at the same time, by the mid-70s, there was a number of subgenre movies that were coming out, part of this new Nature Strikes Back film. These were all the rage, but often coupled with anti-pollution, anti-radiation, anti-modern progress motifs, with various animals wreaking havoc and vengeance upon stupid, hapless defilers of the environment. Nature was important, and if you messed with it, there was a cost to be paid. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Oh, yes ma'am, we agree. And that's honestly how we arrived here with a simple story about a small Arizona town dealing with the ramifications of the use of DDT on the local tarantula population. An unknown species of horror is born as science fiction becomes science fact. If you find any problems out there, go to the place. Just keep it to yourself. I mean, this right here is scientific phenomenon. As you know, all species of megalomorphs are cannibalistic. If you put them together, they'll kill each other off. They just don't colonize like ants or bees do. An army of deadly predators searching, destroying anything in their path. Why 
did they come? What do they want? In the tradition of the great science fiction thrillers, Dimension Pictures presents Kingdom of the Spiders. Starring William Shatner, Tiffany Bowling, Woody Strode, and introducing Althavis Davis. Spiders in this area have organized themselves into an aggressive army. In the sleepy town of Camp Verde, Arizona, local veterinarian Dr. Robert Rack Hansen, as played by the great William Shatner, is puzzled by the sudden illness and the quick death of a prized calf owned by his neighbor and local rancher Walter Colby, played by the great Woody Strode. Concerned but still shrugging it off, old Rack then sends some of the blood samples from the deceased calf off to the local university biology lab in Flagstaff, and then spends the rest of his time riding his horse around, wearing impractical silk shirts in the desert heat, and finding time to hit on his deceased brother's wife, Terry, as played by Marcy Lafferty. Well, that is until another beautiful woman comes to town, arachneologist Dr. Diane Ashley, played by the comely Tiffany Bowling, and if you're not familiar with Tiffany Bowling's work, um, you can see Playboy 1972, as well as a slew of B-movies that we will most likely cover in future episodes. Seems Dr. Ashley has come to explain to Rack that he has a spider problem on his hands. You see, the calf apparently was killed by a massive dose of venom, and Doc Ashley's just itching to find out what could have possibly brought it down. So it's off to the Colby farm to investigate, and wouldn't you know it, when they arrive, all hell is breaking loose. For you animal lovers, I regret at this juncture to inform you that the Colby farm dog is discovered dead. Don't worry, not for real. Uh, apparently also being poisoned. While wondering how this sort of thing could have happened, leave it to old Walter to step forward and inform the two doctors, yeah, I think this might have something to do with that massive spider hill I got out back. It would seem the local tarantula is finding most of their insect prey gone from the use of DDT pesticides, decided to hold some sort of spider union meeting where they decided to get together and form a vast hive and start working as a team to bring down larger animals to consume. So Rack takes this discovery as an opportunity to again attempt to get Dr. Ashley to have dinner with him. She leaves the offer as a maybe, and he decides to leave her to hang out with the spider hill, claiming he's got to go check on a girl. Rack then ends up popping over to Terry's place, actually to check on her, drop a little innuendo, but be there for the real reason, is to uh, extend a promise that he made to his young niece, Linda, that he's actually going to take her horseback riding the very next day. We then smash cut to him driving down the highway and actually running Dr. Ashley off the road when he sees her pass him. And I must say, I'm not using hyperbole, he physically forces her car off the road with his as a way to get her attention. For some reason, that's just the thing to convince her to actually dine with him. So they go to the diner, and he gets to have this big confessional scene where he explains all about his deceased brother, his sister-in-law, his niece, 
But then he decides to stop being maudlin for a few moments and then actually ponder what is driving these spiders to have cooperation. You know, the, those reports of yours, both those animals dying of spider venom. Why, why would spiders suddenly turn aggressive towards livestock? I mean, venomous spiders are loners, they're cannibals. If they don't have anything to eat, they'll kill and eat each other. Food. You want to order? No, no, not right now. What I'm saying is that food could be the principal reason for the attacks on the cattle. What I mean is that through the excessive use of insecticides like DDT, we are inadvertently killing off the spider's natural source of food. So, in order to survive, spiders, as well as other insects, are having to readjust their eating habits and therefore becoming much more aggressive. So the two of them head back to Dr. Ashley's place to review the samples she had taken from the Colony Hill earlier that day. It's at that time she also drops that she has made inquiries in the local paper, and it would seem there have been a number of local cats, dogs, goats, and other animals that have been reported missing over the last three months. It then suddenly hits them, this spider thing's sort of dangerous. So it's agreed that it's time to go back out to the Colby farm to discuss the destruction of the hill with Walter. Upon arrival, however, he is standing out in front of the yard ranting and raving about destroying the hill. Before anyone can react, however, Walter's prized bull smashes through the barn gates and suddenly drops dead in front of them, coated with tarantulas. With the logic of, if it can bring down a cow... Why can't it bring down a human? The first order of business is to burn the hill, right? Well, too bad it doesn't seem to work. And you know, hey, sidebar, why is it in life people assume there's always one single entrance to a colony of anything? If an organization is able to create a hive and function as a colony in mass numbers, do you think they would be that short-sighted enough to only create one way in and one way out? Oh, man's hubris. Anyway... Everybody goes home and thinks the problem is solved. That is, until Mr. Colby decides to get in his truck the next day and finds himself quickly overwhelmed by a group of spiders who had been hanging out in the cab, causing him to crash and kill himself. He, of course, is found eerily cocooned in spider webs, causing Rack to realize that the spider problem is still very real. They end up getting the sheriff as well as the mayor involved and discover there are several more large spider hills across the countryside that are all threatening the town. We have now found ourselves crossing into a different film completely, as Mayor Connors, played by Roy Engel, suddenly morphs into a Murray Hamilton-esque character, just like in Jaws, and launches into his worries about how the spiders will threaten their big county fair that's being hosted by Camp Verde. We are in Verde Valley, Arizona. This is not exactly a tourist destination by any stretch. And besides, how is a county fair going to bring in the real big bucks? All that hot funnel cake action is really going to put money in the old coffers? What do you think, man? Well, correct. There's only one thing to do. Let's just spray the whole damn area. Gene, you get a hold of the Baron. Tell him to get out here first thing in the morning, will you? No, you can't do that. I'm sorry, sir, but you don't seem to understand. You see, pesticides only make it worse, and you could be letting yourself in for one hell of a lot of trouble. Listen, honey, you don't understand. We're going to have a county fair here in two weeks, and I don't want a bunch of damn spiders roaming all over this whole countryside. Look, it's not just a bunch of spiders. It's a migration caused by some kind of imbalance. 
Uh, probably because a lot of ignorant people like yourself have killed off all their food with your stupid DDT. Now, I'll tell you something else, sir. There's not just a few spiders out there. There's millions of them. And your town is right in their path. All right, honey. If you can't kill them with spray, why don't you tell us what will kill them? They're natural predators like birds, rats. Rats. Jean, I want you to get the strongest pesticide available. I want to spray everything oh. in sight. The spider hills, the fields, everything around here. Do you understand me? Mayor, you can't use parathion without permission from the state. Oh, listen, Jean. Poppycock. So there you have it. Rather than listening to the suggestions of Dr. Ashley, Mayor Connors recruits a local crop duster to double down and fog those spider hills with heavy pesticides, thinking it'll keep the local populace none the wiser. Alas, the colony's been infiltrating the town this entire time, and our crop dusting friend soon discovers he has some hairy stowaways after he takes off, causing him to have great difficulty living. What happens next is just a slow panic as the streets are flooded with terrified people being taken down by the slowest waves of crawling arachnids you've ever had the pleasure seeing on the big screen. Rack and a small band of survivors end up taking refuge in an old lodge, but quickly find themselves to be under siege by the crawling invaders. Fireplaces, vents, basement windows all become points of entry as the sweaty group holds out hope for a last-minute rescue. The sheriff does manage to make it down to his cruiser and runs into town for help, only to be killed in the ensuing chaos as the spiders envelop downtown Cape Verde. At the lodge, lots of screaming, spiders pouring in from every conceivable crevice, Shatner overacting, and scary times in a dark basement with a blown fuse all set the tone for a perilous night. Unfortunately, the light of morning brings no comfort to the lodge inhabitants. The town is completely encased in webbing, cut off from the outside world. Worse yet, no one knows of the catastrophe, since the aforementioned death of the sheriff canceled all hope of getting word to the outside. The film ends grimly, with our band of survivors looking on in stunned horror, knowing they will face this day and what will ultimately be their doom in this newly established kingdom of the spiders so who's up for some soft country rock will tomorrow bring the love we need to last forever So, where do we even begin to unpack things? Well, why don't we start by doubling back to Rack, being just general a buffoon. It's as if he wants to come off as being rakish and cool, but he's really just kind of a shit heel. So he knows his sister-in-law is super into him, and he plays with that shamelessly, flirting with her when it suits him, yet getting wildly angry at her when she accidentally calls him by his deceased brother's name, John. Rack, you wouldn't dare. <laughs> come here, little oh, boy. You come here. Dare. Come here. <laughs> John. 
lot of things to a lot of people. But I'm not my brother. Clearly being psychologically abusive, Rack then ignores Terry's apology the next day, and once again decides it's better just to throw some sexy innuendo her way. That is, if you think farm animal references are sexy innuendo. Hey, I'm sorry about what happened the other day. I don't know what you're talking about, lady. <laughs> Rack, you're a funny man. You won't be with your brother's wife, but you take care of her like you were. Isn't that like buying the cow and giving the milk away? You don't quit pestering me. One of these mornings, I'm going to show up and start milking that cow. <laughs> well, just make sure your hands are warm. <laughs> you know, if it's one thing that I know women just love, it's being compared to cows. <laughs> exactly. So now, with the other object of his affection, Dr. Ashley, old Rack just straight up messes with her from the beginning. He pretends to be a filling station attendant upon their first informal meeting, gaslighting her the entire time by sending her to the wrong restroom and acting purposely corn-pone. Later, in their professional introduction, he's both attracted to her, but questions her scientific credentials, because she has the unfortunate gender handicap of just being a woman making it all the stranger, as a veterinarian and a supposed man of science, who has seen what these spiders can do firsthand, he still feels the need that she has to convince him, because, you know, how can you take a threat seriously when it's coming from this university lady? How'd it go over at Colby's day? I gotta tell you, I'm still a little skeptical about the spider theory of yours. Would you be less skeptical if a man had told you? The only person who's uptight about you being a woman is you, you know. I called Tempe today. I checked you out. They say in your field, there's none better. <laughs> what is this, cowboy psychology? Here we go. To women's lip. To Gary Cooper. Oh, Rack, when will you learn? Kingdom of the Spiders was released in November of 1977, and this low-budget offering was a surprise hit. Made only on a budget of $1 million, it ended up grossing $17 million at the box office. This was one of the few odd exploitation films that Shatner had made during the decade between the ending of the original Star Trek television series and the start of the Paramount-backed major motion pictures. 1974's Big Bad Mama and 1975's Devil's Reign were really just it, and will, of course, be undoubtedly covered by us in future episodes. This particular film, Staying Power, had several attempts to actually make a sequel. Um, all subsequently have fallen through. Shatner was involved with one such version that would have involved him being a man locked up in an insane asylum, raving about his experiences of being tortured with spiders. Thankfully for us, we just have this standalone picture. Shatner has given interviews about this film. Surprisingly, he takes it all in stride, noting that he, being the top-billed star, was able to sit in with director John Cardos and help select actresses for the film, in his purely boorish Shatner way, of course. They wanted me to do the picture, and I agreed to do the picture, and then they cast the picture with me being there. So I was in on the casting, 
And they had lovely young ladies come in, and they'd say, oh, you look at read the part. They were the brilliant actor, great-looking girl. Look at those legs. Now, put your hand on this box and touch the tarantula. <laughs> Aha, you're afraid of tarantula, aren't you? Goodbye, my dear. And then this ugly beast would come in. Fine. She couldn't act. Ugly. No legs. Short little dumpy legs. Touch the tarantula, you're in. As far as the eco-horror subgenre goes, this movie fits pretty well in with other such offerings. Movies like 1972's Frogs and the one-two punch from 1977 in Day of the Animals and Empire of the Ants. While Kingdom of the Spiders doesn't go the same route as these other films, they blame mankind for polluting and mutating the indigenous species by way of waste into large, bloodthirsty beasts. It does at least have a hairy leg or two and a bit of scientific truth. While tarantulas are not a species of spider that do organize socially into colonies, for the last century or so, scientists have been aware that there are species of rainforest spiders that do just that. The Analcemus exmaius is a social spider species native to the Lesser Antilles Islands, as well as being found in Panama and Argentina, that use communal colonies to hunt, feed, raise young, and construct elaborate web systems. Working together as a communal hive, they're able to swarm and take down much larger prey and share in the spoils of the hunt. In the past ten years, from Texas to Sri Lanka, there have been multiple reported sightings of large colonies of spiders creating superwebs to communally trap prey and increase the likelihood of their own survival. Indeed, scientists have only been able to discover a handful of social spider species, which on the whole do not appear to fit in the normal role of spiders as solitary hunters. Are we witnessing a future evolutionary change in spider social behavior? A change which will ultimately lead to them being superior species? And will foretell of them dominating the future of this planet? And we're told that the things that will survive a holocaust uh, of the earth will be cockroaches and insects and probably spiders and out of which in a relatively short period of time after we're all gone mammals and things like that uh, due to what we've done what will survive is are the insects and like the great die-off of whatever it was the pleistocene uh, era or wherever that great die-off was and there have been several and the di dinosaurs disappearing for some reason they were around for 160 million years and suddenly they die off how what what kind of vanity would we have to think that we would last uh, more than a, a short while from here uh, as all the animals animals uh, mammals begin to die off and what's left are the arachnids and wouldn't they inherit the world and evolve into intelligences like we have and become an intelligent spider. Well, hey, Bill says, maybe. Look, all I can say about this is this is indeed a fun B film. You get some great overacting, some hammy dialogue, and some really silly mayhem thrown in for some good measure to be enjoyed by all. Even if you don't have a spider phobia, the amount of slow, scratchy spiders filmed crawling on people can make the most jaded of filmgoers perhaps feel just a wee bit itchy. And I would argue that makes it all the worthwhile, so go out, give it a watch, and see it for yourself. 
the release we watched was the latest version of uh, the movie on Blu-ray as put out by Code Red. Uh, they've done a marvelous job in doing a cleaned-up version uh, that, you know, is of quality, better than the previous pan and scan DVDs that were on the market several years ago. Um, there's a super version that you can purchase uh, if you are willing to spend the money. has some nice extra special features, including the talking Bill Shatner interview. Um, there's a regular version that has director's commentary, including trailers and interviews and uh Dialogue with actress Tiffany Bowling, which is also highly recommended. Um, and I, I will say I'm getting no money or kickback for this. I just think it's important that uh, people actually go buy physical media and support these companies releasing these movies so more and more people have the opportunity to view them. So uh, just just putting it out there, not, not getting a dime, just want to make sure everyone knows they should go to their favorite place, be it Code Red's direct website or Amazon or whatever movie service you enjoy, and uh, make sure to download and uh, purchase copies of Kingdom of the Spiders or any other film that strikes your fancy. So that's going to wrap things up here on this episode of I Saw It on Linden Street. Thank you all very much for listening. If you like us, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook at The Linden Street Cinema Experience. And please feel free to email any questions or comments to us directly at lindenstreetcinemaexp at gmail.com. So until next time, please take care and remember, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy, everybody.